What's up, everybody? It looks like we are live. We're uh, we'll let everybody we'll let everybody kind of get in here. The date is uh, first of all, welcome everybody to Status Quo. The date is Tuesday, December thirteenth in this year of our Lord, twenty twenty two. I am reporting to you live from Los Angeles, California, in the United Sto Corporations of America. Another lovely day in the oligarchy. We got a fun show for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking about, oh, first, smash the like button. Don't just push it. Smash it. Smash it. Smash it gently. Gentle smash. But you got you to gotta show it who's boss. You know, sometimes you push that like button and it goes, oh, we're not so sure. We don't think you really like this. We're going to just not show this like, huh? Algorithm said so. And you got to be like, nope, smash. That's what you got to do. Um, but we're going to be talking about uh, Bernie Sanders trying to bring a Yemen war powers resolution to the floor. Um, and it's being resisted by Joe Biden. That's going on live. That's like happening right now. This is breaking stuff. Uh, then we're going to talk about the marriage equality bill. And then we're going to be talking about Ron DeSantis, but we're going to get to our guest right away because he is on the beat covering this right now. Uh, so please welcome from The Intercept, Ryan Grimm. Ryan, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good. So we'll jump right into it. I know you're on a time crunch here, so I want to talk about Yemen first. And then if we have time, I'd like to talk about the rail strike too, but that'll be time dependent. So I want to do Yemen first. But um, so Bernie Sanders, you published this piece um, last week in The Intercept, Bernie Sanders to bring Yemen war powers resolution to the floor as soon as next week. You published that last week. So is today the final day? Like, where are we at here? Yes, because so the War Powers Act creates this unique procedure for anything war related that allows any member of the Senate to go through a process that allows them to put a war powers resolution on the floor that restricts the administration's war making ability without having to uh, get over a filibuster and without needing the permission of a committee and without needing the permission of the leadership. Uh, and so Senator Sanders over the past year plus went through the procedures that he needed to do in order to get it to the floor because Republicans took over the House and they will take it over in January. Uh, a lot of groups on the outside were pushing Sanders to make sure that he did this before the, uh, be, you know, before Republicans took over. Do this in the lame duck, uh, because the Republican leadership, even though you have a pretty a, a sizable, you know, a growing number of of kind of whatever you would call them Republicans who are anti-war, mm -hmm. uh, you don't have leadership that is anti-war, and so the, and the House doesn't have the same procedures. Paul Ryan changed them. They haven't really been changed back. And so um, it would be it, it would be very difficult, not impossible, but difficult to get it on the floor with Republicans in control of the House of Representatives. Just difficult enough with Democrats in control of the House of Representatives. So they wanted to push it now. It, uh, but as, as you mentioned, the White House has been now whipping against it uh, throughout the day and urging senators who, Democratic senators who voted previously for this under Trump to flip and, and vote no, and they've even threatened, privately threatened a veto. Although Karine uh, uh, Jean-Pierre was asked about uh, my reporting from earlier today, and she wouldn't comment on whether or not they're, they would, Biden would veto it, by, but I obtained the talking points that they've been circulating privately around the Senate that say that they would, the staff, quote unquote staff would recommend a veto. And that's going back to the Bush administration and before, that's how the White House phrases 
a veto threat so that if he ends up signing it, he didn't kind of get back down. Uh, he just didn't take the advice of his staff. So basically they are, they are threatening a veto. What is the rationale behind this? Like, like, what are they, it's, like, how are they so justifying this? It, it's so, it's so cockamamie and maybe I can even pull it up and read some of it, but ba their, their basic argument is that you have to vote against this war powers resolution for peace. Like, like the, <laughs> like the anti-war vote is, is this, um, I so feel like there's here. a meme about that somewhere. I, I, I feel like yes. there, there's a meme that uh, the whole war is peace thing. We were supposed to see through that a long time yeah. ago. And so here's, here's a little bit of it. The situation is still fragile and our diplomatic efforts are ongoing. The most intense diplomacy right now is directly between the Houthis and KSA, which is what we've always wanted. And they are making progress, but it's far from done. A vote on this resolution risks undermining those efforts. Uh, the president followed through on his pledge to end support for Saudi-led offensive operations. This is another fundamental difference from when you considered this resolution in 2019. We have halted all sales of offensive munitions. And I'll read another one more. We know that this is a difficult decision to change a vote, but the circumstances are fundamentally different than they were in 2019. And a vote would undermine the possibility that we can finally bring an end to this war and the humanitarian suffering of the people of Yemen. So that's that's from the Biden administration's talking points to the Senate of why people should flip their vote. And in the name of peace, you know, vote to allow the, the U.S. to continue to support Saudi Arabia. If you were going to try to make sense of that, and I think they probably didn't want to put this down on paper, what they what they might be trying to say is this: the Houthis have have grown in strength from a, a, a small tribe that wasn't expected to even be able to take Sanaa in 2015 to now controlling most of the country and now being able to launch strikes like into Saudi Arabia. And in order to get Saudi Arabia to agree to a permanent peace with the Houthis, uh, Sa Saudi Arabia would want to feel like the Houthis were still somewhat in check, that they would be nervous that if, so the US, so Biden might be arguing here that if you take out this last leg of support for Saudi Arabia's war efforts, the Houthis get too strong and then the Saudis won't, will be too humiliated or something to make a deal with them. Uh, I, that, that's the best sense that I can make of that, of that rationale from the White House. Chris Murphy, uh, was on Mehdi Hassan's show today, and Murphy's been hot and cold on this issue. He's been great at times, and then at other times he has not. Uh, today, uh, he said, look, we have already restricted you know, 90 to 95% of support for Saudi's war in Yemen. This takes away the last 5%, and he's like, I think we need to take away the last 5%. He said Saudi Arabia has not shown any seriousness in ending this war. So to have Chris Murphy say he's supporting Bernie Sanders' resolution was a big shot in the arm for it. So do you, I know Bernie says that he, he thinks that the votes are there. Do you echo that? Do you, do you think that the votes are there? That this I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know what he's basing that on. I, I have, I have not heard from any of the groups that they are confident in, in their whip count. I, they, I have not heard from any of them that they have gotten a reliable whip count from Sanders. Um, I've heard that Mike Lee is going to be a yes. And if Mike Lee gets to yes, then you could, you could have maybe 10 Republicans. And then if you can pull together still 40 Democrats or so, you could get to get back to 50. Um, but with the White House whipping against it, there are just so there's I think there's so many Democrats who just don't care enough about this issue that if they can build some capital with the White House just to do whatever the White House wants and then in exchange, get whatever they're trying to get out of the White House for their home state or, you know, whatever, whatever politics we don't know about that's going on behind the scenes. 
I could see a decent number of Democrats who voted for it in 2019 flipping their vote uh, unless they think enough people are watching because they're not going to want to get a you don't want to be called a flip flopper and B, you don't want to get called somebody who supports you know this this horrifying seven year long war uh, in, in Yemen waged by uh, Saudi Arabia, the you know, butcher of Khashoggi teaming up with Russia in the war against Ukraine, like all, uh, you know, allied with Trump, like jacking up gas prices run by a lunatic like that. It's not a it's not going to be an easy vote for them yet. Uh, under pressure from the White House, I could see a decent number of them flipping. So we'll, we'll see. I, I This is one of those votes. I, I don't know how it'll come out. Mm. So um, what is what is kind of like pressing right now, right now? I mean, you mentioned there there is like a deadline that we're up against like today. So so what is that exactly? Is this the deadline for the vote or are they going to have the vote so, or like? Yeah. Today, so today the vote will be at 7 p.m. today. Okay. Uh, the only deadline is the lame duck. Like they got to get it done before January 3rd, I guess, is when mm -hmm. the new the new Congress comes in and they're going out for Christmas recess soon. Uh, so it's basically it's basically do or die now because what is it's december 13th so gotta do it soon now there was a ceasefire there, there there was a ceasefire that has been in effect it expired october 1st but hostilities have not resumed and it's so it's been in effect for maybe nine months now uh and so that the, the administration is also using that they're saying what do you need to do this for uh you know relax there's a ceasefire we're, we're, we're good here like we're moving toward a permanent truce uh so like just so why don't we move towards it faster <laughs> seems like, so let's seems... move towards it faster no 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 we might want a war again because war is peace just, remember like oh, war, is, okay. war is war is peace yeah <laughs> wow it exactly. is something so well what happens if we don't get the vote tonight does it just is it just completely or can they bring it again before the lame duck is over or will this just kind of fall by the wayside then? if it if it goes down if it go if it, if it wins tonight more than 50 votes because it doesn't need 60 then uh it goes over to the house and then you have to pressure house leadership uh peter defazio is the champion of it over there but it it has, it has the support of normie dems like adam schiff uh you know wow. power you know people who are have to draw a lot of water over in the house democratic caucus so um and defazio is retiring um like he, you know he'd probably like to see this as a black one of the last things he does um so if it passes it well, then the next then the fight moves over to the house uh if it fails that's it then uh they, then they'll pick it up again next next year uh mm -hmm. and and then it becomes a question of whether kind of the crazies like marjorie taylor green can like put enough pressure on their leadership to allow a vote mm -hmm. and because at that at that point the house progressives are you know, they don't have a whole lot of pull with Kevin McCarthy, believe it or not. Yeah. So we'll find out in a, a few hours. You're talking seven Eastern, right? Yeah. 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 We're we're just a few hours away here. Um, so I think Bernie's going to speak at 615 if people want to set their C-SPAN clocks. Oh, OK. All right. So Bernie will be talking in about an hour. Um, yeah, it should be it should be fiery because uh, he knows that the White House is, has been fighting him on this. Well, last question on this, and then I'd like to switch over to the railroad strike. Um, is this how is this in any way similar to to Ro Khanna's? I mean, I mean, he had a resolution mm -hmm. to end the yes. conflict in Yemen too. Is this mirroring the that, or yeah? So he led that one in uh, 2019 
and and with Sanders as the uh, as the Senate lead. So yes, okay. it's basically the same thing. And Khan is a supporter on the House of DeFazio's resolution, but Khan has only been in office since what, 2016. So you know, if somebody more senior feels like they want to do it, they kind of get okay. di- they get dibs. Well, we will see what happens. And it looks like are, are you in D.C.? You kind of look like you're in D.C. Yeah, this is the this is the the Capitol press gallery. Oh, nice. So the Wi-Fi is not not too shabby. That's good. I no, I, I, good I had to live stream from the uh, from the Senate building once. It was uh, in a movement for net neutrality. It was in 2019, and uh, I was hmm. a little worried. I, I bought like uh, I bought the extra data you can get, you know, just to be safe. But uh, who knows? Maybe the the data in there would have held up. I'll never know for sure. But uh, <laughs> but yeah. So that's yeah, working fine. Uh, good, good, good. So let's go over to the rail strike. Now, you uh, you had a perspective that frustrated some folks. Um, sure did. You know, I'm not going to lie. I was one of them, to tell you the truth. Um, but but I'll, I'll hand it over to you first. So what, you know, my understanding is that your perspective was, you know, basically what happened here was they did the vote to crush the strike which is, I mean, that goes back to the Railroad Act of 1926 mm-hmm. that allows the president to get involved and crush the strike. And instead of wanting to crush the strike in favor of the workers and forcing the railroad barons to say, hey, give them what they want, they did the opposite. It was a pro-railroad baron thing. And then they decoupled the sick days, which was only seven sick days, not 15. They decoupled that from the bill voted on it separately, and we all kind of knew it was likely to fail in the Senate. And then, of course, it did. Um, now, you – well, well, let me let me hand it yeah. over to you. I, I don't want to say what your position is, but, but you published something basically saying that that's how people wanted them to vote, you know, for crushing the strike. So if you could elaborate on that. Yeah, but the whole question comes down to whether or not uh, you believed – whether or not they felt like it was worth holding a vote in the Senate. Um, and the, the, the unions, including this, these rank and file caucuses of, of leftist unions, wanted a vote in the Senate. Like they wanted that vote. A, they thought that they were, had enough of a shot that it was worth taking a shot. Do you uh, mean on the sick days? When you say wanted on the a sick vote, days. you mean on the sick Okay. Right. All right. Wanted a vote on the sick days. The only way you get that vote is if you get it out of the House and over there with the, with the sick days attached. Which which they got. Now, what, what what the other thing I have said is that like I get the optics. Like you'd you'd rather have done basically what Rashida Tlaib did, which is like vote no, so you're not on record supporting this like you know this fir- the first vote, which is to impose the contract, followed by the second vote, which adds the sick days. The problem with doing that as a as a full caucus, like a, like a handful of people can do that. If you do that as a full caucus, then you then you start playing these games because you you want they wanted both the unions and progressives wanted both to pass so that the Senate could vote on them. And so you go into, let's say, let's say you want to be clever and you, you, you win the vote on the seven day, six days. Pelosi says, okay, you can have that vote. But in order to have that vote, you have to first get past the original contract. So let's say you go out there and you're like, well, there's going to be plenty of Republican support for this. Uh, so we can vote. No, we can vote, take a principled no vote. And then when it comes to sick days, we'll vote yes. What happens if Republicans uh, are playing games too? And they say, look, we don't want this seven day sick day vote. We don't want them. We, we don't even, we don't want to put the Senate Republicans on record. We don't want to be on record 
So if if you're playing games here, we're gonna we're gonna vote no on this TA on this tentative agreement, and then it goes and then it goes down. So now you've taken the principled vote, and it's gone it's gone down. But now you don't get the sick day vote, and people would say, okay, well that's awesome. Now there's gonna be a strike. Yeah. Except no, no, there isn't gonna be a strike. Why? Because then Pelosi is like, okay, we had a we had an agreement. This was how we were gonna get a sick day vote. You guys didn't stick by the agreement. Now we're not going to do a sick day vote. We're putting the original agreement back on the floor, and that's it. And then it's going straight over to the Senate. And guess what Republicans are going to do that time? They're going to do exactly what they did, which well, is overwhelmingly supportive. And, and, and then we have the same result anyway. I, I, I mean, but, but I, I no, understand you, what you're but saying, but it's like strategically okay, the same thing happened. No, well, no, strategically the same thing didn't happen because they got – a, a full, you know, full day of attention on the sick day in the house fight, uh, a day leading up to that, all of this coverage on CNN and New York Times and elsewhere about the sick days. Then, as it goes over to the Senate, they get a, they get a vote there. They get another day of national coverage, and they also felt like they had a shot. Like their whip count going in that day was seven. They ended up getting six. A couple of weeks before that, they felt like there were ten or eleven Republican votes, and they weren't sure where Manchin was. So there's been a lot of people who are like, you can't get, Republicans are bad. You can't get them to support railroad workers. Most railroad workers are Republicans. And a lot of Republicans now are doing all of this pro-worker rhetoric. So it's, it's I, I don't think it's as naive as people say for them to believe that they had a shot. They spent a week in November lobbying for primarily Senate Republicans going office to office. And they came out of that week believing that they had a shot at 10 to 11 Republican votes in the Senate. A lot of people are like, no way. You guys are idiots. That's no, no chance. You never had that chance. But I think it's, if it's your sick days on the line and you think that after the, all of the work you've done, you have a shot, even if it's a 2% shot, you're going to take it. And I think part of what was going on here is that a lot of outside observers wanted a titanic clash between kind of capital and labor here because especially when you see the railroads you're like oh this is systemic like this can this is really going to bring all of the issues that we have been fighting for to the fore and it's going to put so much pressure on the capitalist class that we're going to be able to like really wage this but the railroad workers are like we want want seven sick days well, but I, I don't think it's about wanting to see a clash as much as it's about, you know, this is what has to I mean, be there's done. There's nothing wrong with you wanting know? to see a clash. Like, no, no, no. I understand what yeah. you're saying, but but it's yeah. not like, it, it, it. just to be clear, it, it, it's not like this is some game where it's like, oh, we're going to see a clash. It, it's more like this is what has to be done. And, and here's where I, I think, you know, a lot of people disagree with you, my, myself being mm-hmm. among them. You know, I, I mean, you're making it out like, oh, well, they thought there was a chance. They thought there was a chance. It's not like all the workers had this monolithic point of view. I mean, I I interviewed a railroad worker who who didn't agree with your assessment, who didn't agree with your strategy. And, you know, four unions were totally well, against not my, this not my what what yeah. you were reporting what you were reporting i yeah. understand but but it's like you know th- there's plenty of workers who wouldn't agree with that it's not like it's some monolithic thing you know and the other thing where, where, you're, where you're talking about them being naive um i don't know anyone who was saying that i, I don't think anyone was blaming the workers i mean i'm sure if you look at some random no, there are a lot of a lot of people who were saying if the workers believed that they had a shot in the senate and that if if this was what they wanted 
they should have been told by like the squad and by Bernie that no, like you don't have a shot. You should not do this. Like there's plenty of people out there that are saying that. And that actually what the progressives wanted was to use the workers as like cover because they just wanted to vote to, to crush the strike. That like, that's their theory. And that actually the progressives should have uh, told the workers, no, you don't have a shot. We're just voting this down. We're not, we're not, we're not playing any games here with trying to get seven, six days at the end. Biden has screwed you. He sent the thing over here. We're just voting it down. We're done. I mean, I don't think it's a matter of using the workers as cover as much as just they don't want to rattle any cages. So they're just kind of saying, oh, well, we're just going to do this. And and some people with leadership said it's OK. And it's like at the end of the day, I mean, I, I think it's we'd all be so much better off if they didn't go to crush the strike. I mean, they, they disagree. Like and, and if you you, I, I, you could talk to some folks in RWU or over at uh, BMWED rank and file united mm -hmm. like like they think compared to where they were on monday the monday when biden sent that agreement over to where they are now like a rally today outside the capitol that had bernie Gar that had bernie sanders chewy garcia uh, rashida talib uh andy levin uh, don Payne, jamal bowman like a show of support uh for, for railroad workers that and a show of like energy from their leadership because now the leadership is kind of following the rank and file so you you wouldn't have seen that before, and so they they feel like their their chance of getting executive action out of the White House is much greater as a result of the fight that they put up and the national attention that they drew, and that once Biden had screwed them by sending it over to the House, uh, that uh, there, you know there were bad options and like less bad options. Okay. Well, I mean, again, when, when you say they, it's not like there's this monolithic perspective from workers. I mean, we could yeah, talk that, to a bunch of people that, from RWU. We, we'd find a little bit of everything. We'd find some people who I'm sure agree with your perspective, some people who agree with mine. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think we'll just have to agree to disagree right. on that one. Um, so let's talk about where we're at now then, because I know you only got a little bit of time. So, so I want to get some stuff in on where we're at now. Um, to my understanding, that Bernie Sanders letter, which I read, I'm sure you've read it, they didn't list one nor two. They listed three ways where we could still get these sick days in one mm -hmm. via the secretary of transportation, one via labor and one via, of course, the most obvious an executive order from Biden. Um, you've been covering some stuff mm -hmm. on the ground today. So fill me in on what you found there. And, right. And so some of the stuff that they're that they're pushing on uh, the, the transportation department is to say, hey, Mayor Pete, like there are health and safety issues here that you can intervene on. So on the one hand, there's federal contractor employee rights, like where, you know, Biden could try to like say that the train workers are, you know, railroad workers are employees of federal contractors. And so therefore are subject to this executive order, which they've been carved out of in the past. I'm putting them in there. Like that's one uh, that that'll, that obviously would get challenged in court. Well, you know, maybe it wins, maybe it doesn't win. The, the railroads have said, look, Look, look at the Department of Transportation, too, because there are all sorts of regulations with, that say that if, if businesses are implementing personnel policies that are putting people's health and safety at risk, uh, not just the workers, but the health and safety of people who are on the tracks. And like one worker made a great point at, a, at the rally today. It's like when you cut down the number of staff on a five mile train to like less than you know two, yeah. like 
who's who's going to be the staff that's like looking out and like whistling for the kids that are on the tracks it's like you, he's like you guys don't understand how often that happens like kids play on railroad tracks and and like very often it has to be people staff on the train that are like warning them blowing that whistle like get off the tracks and so that's just like one tiny example of the way that their staffing decisions put not just the lives of workers at risk which is important enough uh, but also the lives of the public at risk and so the department of transportation as they, as far as they understand it and as far as they argue it has jurisdiction to come in and and, and push some reforms of these policies there are also uh, a number of other policy changes that they're trying to get the administration to to force onto the railroads um, that aren't as kind of easy to understand as the sick days uh, but for many railroaders are are just as important um, if not even some of them more more important and so they're used they're trying to use this space and this this capital because they now captured the attention of the White House because the White House knows that they really took it on the chin on this one to try to to try to say like here are the here are the things you can do if you don't want to continue to be ridiculed when you call yourself the most pro-labor president in history. So how likely do you think it is that something's going to happen? Like, like how likely do you so, think an executive order is? Chewy Garcia told me today he expects that there will be executive action. I don't I don't I don't think it will be a direct order of seven sick days because I think and I and I think the railroads are are nervous about putting all their eggs in a basket that could be overturned by a court. I think they want a much broader set of wins so that if they throw that out, that they still have other other wins that can translate into uh, sick days. So in other words, every concession that they, they can get out of the White House, then they go back to their carriers and say, look, here's here's what we now can legally do. We, we want sick days. And that lets them kind of rebargain and say let different quid pro quos about the different concessions. So they want they want either uh, you know some type of legislative vehicle that the courts can't overturn, um, or or they want something that really forces the carriers to implement the sick days in a way that judges can't overthrow. So I'm still reporting out a lot of the details of it, but they they do feel like they have space right now that the White House wants to do something for them so they can kind of unembarrass themselves. So like, just to keep it simple, like on a scale of one to 10, one being nothing's going to happen, 10 being we're going to see some amount of a victory here. Where, where would you say? I think seven that they get something. So Fair enough. That they get something non-trivial. Yeah. So one final question for you. And and thank you so much for, for making some time for this today. And, and thanks for being on the speed uh, today and tonight. And we'll see what happens here. Um, I think part of the reason a lot of people had some very strong reactions to your take on the railroad strike is because, you know, right, if we're being honest here, you, you kind of have a, a track record that when it comes to the squad, it's a bit of a sacred cow for you. Uh, you don't seem to be willing to criticize them even at times when it's necessary. So do you think that it is a problem that they're really not behaving as a block. Cause that's my criticism of them. They're not working as a block. They're not voting as a block. And if they don't start doing that, they're not wielding what influence they do have. 
I'm not asking them to change all 434 members, but I am asking them to work as a block so that they can kind of have influence. Would you agree I, with I that? I, I do think that the kind of inability uh, to to work as a block has has under has undermined uh, their relationship kind of with the online left and and also has probably undermined some of the influence they could have internally because internally their enemies still see them as operating as a block and but they don't so they kind of get the worst of they kind of get the worst of both worlds so i do think that that is that is reasonable and yeah i know that i, I know that people like think think that uh, about me but i like if if there's something that is like I, I, but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i don't care like i'm not gonna stop reporting like what you know what's happening in congress because i think a lot of people like like why why would people know the ins and outs of the railway labor act know sure. ex know exactly what kind of lobbying strategies rank and file labor caucuses are employing like nobody's born knowing these things um i think we get too caught up in like what do i personally think about this particular strategy like we a lot of people want to go there rather than just here have me tell them like here like here is why from their perspective they are doing this thing and this might be useful for you to know so you can argue against them and a lot of people are like well you say that say that they're dumb say, say that they're sellouts say that they're wrong i'm, like, I'm not asking you to do any yes. of that no not yeah. you no 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 not, not you yeah so yeah it's but but what it, it's fine it comes with the territory i love i love my job it's fine yeah. <laughs> all right well you know i i, I guess you know we'll, we'll see what happens here and uh thank you so much for uh for being able to stop by today and we'll see what i mean we're gonna we're gonna know more in about an hour and a half here uh so uh so thanks for thanks for being on the beat and thanks for tuning in from the from the dc library or where, wherever it is you're at I, I was i was waiting for someone to come over and yell at you i'm glad it never happened so uh, so uh yeah safe travels thanks for being here and uh feel yeah. free to let everyone know want know where to follow you oh for sure if, if over at the intercept um or you read my newsletter bad news over at substack yeah all right thanks ryan thanks for doing yeah. this all right cheers you all right, that was Ryan Grimm with uh, with some take on what's going on with the uh, with the with the Yemen bill, and we'll find out in about an hour and a half. I, I hope I hope they get it through. Um, how sad is that that Joe Biden and <laughs> they're railing against that during the, during the holiday season, no less. They're just like guys. We might want a war. There's a ceasefire, but we might want a war. So let's all war. Uh, so let's go to the marriage equality bill. This is a, a little bit of, um, man, all right. So I'm not looking forward to talking about this. Why? Because I have to, I mean, obviously this is a great, I mean, I'm glad this is here, but unfortunately I talked to a lawyer friend of mine and I kind of got to be the uh, man, I, I got to just I got to report here and be the Debbie Downer Magoo a little bit. Uh, so let's go to the ABC article, Colin, before uh, this is what happens when it's an online news show. Sometimes you got to be like, well, here. All right. Biden to sign historic same sex marriage bill at White House. All right. President Joe Biden on Tuesday signed legislation protecting same sex and interracial marriage. Awesome. 
Thousands of people gathered on the White House South Lawn to commemorate the Respect for Marriage Act becoming law. Today is a good day, Biden said as he took the podium after Vice President Kamala Harris. Rumor has it Joe Biden even knew where he was. A day America takes a vital step towards equality for liberty and justice, not just for some, but for everyone, toward creating a nation where decency, dignity, dignity, dignity. <laughs> we poke, I poke fun at Joe Biden for, uh, you know, uh, messing up his words. And then here I go, uh, messing up my words, reading a Joe Biden quote. That's a that's some irony. I got to I got to wear that. I got to own it. I just did it uh, towards creating a nation where decency, dignity and love are recognized, honored and protected. Come on, Jack. You don't think bad. So this is great. This is wonderful. Now, Ron, why do you why are you going to be Debbie Downer Magoo over here? Like, what the heck? What do you? Well, because here's the thing. Um, uh. Here's the thing, folks. The Supreme Court, which is just, just just a cast of villains. That's all the Supreme Court is. It's just a cast of villains. Uh, the Supreme Court is to the law what, like, instant ramen is to food. Which, which by the way, instant ramen is delicious, and it's a special treat, and it's a vice. But it's it's technically not food. It, it's some places that's literally not considered food. There, there's studies out there. Your body doesn't even actually digest it. Now, for me... It is kind of a comfort food. I basically lived on that for years on the road. So sometimes I just kind of crave it. I know it's not good for me, but there's a lot of vices out there. It's no worse for you than diet soda, I tell myself. So what I force myself to do is I force myself that if I'm going to get some instant ramen, I have to buy it from the bodega because it's more expensive. Because I'm like, dude, this is... This is an indulgence tax that you have. I mean, at the at the grocery store, they're like, what, 20 cents or so. They might be more now because everything's freaking more, uh, which, by the way, that's because we're making a monopoly. Anyway, um, it's a little more now, but uh, but it's still pretty freaking. But at the bodega, it's like a dollar, which is it's definitely less than a dollar for one of those. But I'm like, I got to I got to spend the dollar. This is a freaking vice. I got to spend the whole dollar like a champ. Uh, so anyway, the Supreme Court. It has nothing to do with the law. They're just a bunch of religious extremists. The whole thing needs to be abolished. When I say that, I'm not suggesting that we have no uh, court at any federal level. I'm suggesting that we replace it with something else that isn't a freaking political football, that isn't some lifetime appointment. And by the way, most of the people on the Supreme Court, who are, who are some of the most powerful people over our laws in the freaking world, uh, they're not even like supported by the majority of Americans because they were put in place by presidents most Americans didn't vote for. Like most of the Supreme Court is uh, was put in there by Bush, who did not win the popular vote, and Trump, who did not win the popular vote. So the Supreme Court does not reflect public opinion in any way whatsoever. And yet they have more power uh, than than anything. And so anyway, here's how the Supreme Court could screw this over. Um they could overturn this thing in three different ways. One, they could interpret it narrowly. Now, I'm not exactly sure how they would pull that off. Like, it's pretty much like it protects uh, it protects same-sex marriage and interracial marriage. Like, boom. I think that's pretty straightforward. But who knows what mental gymnastics they'll do. They could interpret it a certain way to discount it. Uh, two, they could indicate that it conflicts with another law, which I'm sure they're going to try to do. Or three... They could just declare it unconstitutional in whole or in part. 
Now, it'd be hard for them to do that. Doesn't mean they're not going to try. But I think, uh, and again, not a lawyer, but I think it'd be hard for them to do that because the reason we got same-sex marriage in the first place was that the Supreme Court decided it was unconstitutional to not allow it. So it'd be hard for them to say, oh, but this thing protecting it's unconstitutional. Not saying they're not going to try. Of course they'll freaking try. Not saying they might not be able to pull out some bullshit. They might be able to. And it's, you know, it's still just the, the night of them or whatever. So, so who knows? But, uh, but yeah, I talked to a buddy of mine. I have a, I have a buddy. He's an attorney. He's very well-versed in law. And, uh, you know, we talk politics a lot. We agree on a lot of things. Um, you know, we, we have a couple things we see differently, mostly strategic things. You know what I mean? It's like we're both lefties. It's just strategy-wise, you know, sometimes he yins and I yank. And that's okay. It's important that we talk to each other. That's what I think. But, uh, you know, he's a lawyer, so usually all of our conversations, eventually it just comes back to, the Supreme Court is going to destroy our young and eat our souls. And I'm like, ah, shit, man. I, I damn it, you know? Uh, so anyway, that's what um, that's what he indicated to me. So this is great, but the Supreme Court is, is going to show up here, folks. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna rail uh, they're gonna rear their ugly heads, if you will. The Supreme Court. Uh, so this is good news, and I'm really sorry I had to um, I had to say, hey, this is great news, but here's a little bit of an asterisk and uh, something that we just need to be aware of. Uh, maybe they'll just leave it alone. Maybe they'll just let us have something, but I doubt it. That's not really their jam, the Supreme Court. But the other reason I'm telling you this is when I say things like the Supreme Court should be abolished, this is why I say those things. We are at Hail Mary time for a couple things. First of all, we're at Hail Mary time for the antitrust vote. Amazon is going to lay off 20,000 people this holiday uh, season because, you know, Jeff Bezos will not be out Scrooged by the United States government, nor will he be out Scrooged by uh, Elon Musk. He is going to hold his own, own Scrooging. Now, one of the reasons he can do this is because Amazon has pretty much a monopoly and we got to break that up. And the only way we can do that is antitrust in the digital space. There's two antitrust bills sitting around in Congress that we've been promised to vote on for almost pretty much this entire year, just about. I mean, it started before the summer because the campaign started as antitrust summer. We're still going. And those bills start breaking up big tech's monopolistic hold on our app stores and their monopolistic hold on products and services and search results. So go to bidenpromise.us and demand that during the lame duck, these bills be brought to the vote. The votes are there. It'll get through. Biden promised dot us again that is biden dot us tell president biden don't cave to big tech now another thing uh that we'll be dropping a short video on here in a little bit uh net neutrality Gigi Sohn still has not been appointed to the fcc because she has not been appointed to the fcc the fcc remains in a 2-2 gridlock without a tie-breaking vote now that tie-breaking vote would get us net neutrality back because uh, Gigi Sohn is a pro-net neutrality uh, FCC appointee. Joe Biden promised a pro-net neutrality FCC appointee. What we found out today via the Washington Post is that two conservative outlets spent about $246,000 in Facebook ads uh, against Gigi Sohn's appointment. So there's been a huge right-wing campaign against Gigi Sohn. Why don't they like Gigi Sohn? This is why, I kid you not, she doesn't like Fox News. 
So Gigi Stone isn't a fan of Fox News because she has eyes and ears. And uh, they're really mad about that. That will somehow impede on her ability to be an FCC uh, commissioner. She has 30 years of experience. Um, she is completely well-versed in digital rights. She is overqualified. Trump's Trump's picks, who had no qualifications whatsoever, they were also terrible on the issues, but not to mention they had no qualifications whatsoever. They were approved in a matter of weeks. Uh, it's been over a year. Gigi Stone still hasn't been approved. Why hasn't she been approved? Well, a combination of things. First of all, a big right-wing campaign against her. Second of all, an indifferent president. Biden doesn't really care that much. He started his campaign with a bunch of Comcast executives. And third of all, uh, a Senate leader who's very compromised by big tech and Chuck Schumer. So go to battleforthenet.com and demand that Gigi Stone be confirmed before the end of the year. Guys, we're in the fourth quarter we're past the two-minute freaking warning. I don't know why I give so many football analogies. I'm actually a hockey guy. But seriously, battleforthenet.com. If Gigi Sohn is not confirmed before the end of the year, we're in the lame duck session. The clock is ticking. If she's not confirmed before the end of the year, uh, her nomination will expire. And it'll have to get re-upped in January, which we're not even guaranteed that's going to happen. So... We got to try, folks. We got to be loud. Please, battleforthenet.com and bidenpromise.us. Please sign those petitions. It is a way that we can pressure our elected officials uh, to bring these, uh, bring these, bring the antitrust bills up to a vote and confirm Gigi Stone to the FCC. All right. Our last story of the day. There's no positive component to this one because uh, this involves Ron DeSantis. Now, I I'm not, those of you who know me, you know how I feel about Ron DeSantis. Uh, Ron DeSantis, and, and I'll keep saying this, I know not everyone agrees with me. I don't care. I, you know, I mean, I, I, Ron DeSantis is the most dangerous person in American politics by far. By far. This goes beyond Wall Street Team D, Wall Street Team R. This goes beyond all that. This guy is a competent theocratic fascist to the nth degree. I think if he gets into the White House, he will surpass the Bush administration as far as the damage he will do. And wow. And by the way, this is how it starts. It starts with the normalization of this guy. It starts with, you know, people kind of celebrating him. And by the way, Trump derangement syndrome is at play here because a lot of people, you know, he kind of butts heads with Trump because they're kind of in competition. So a lot of people, they're like, we don't like Trump. So this guy, ha, ha, ha. Look, I don't like Trump either. I despise Trump just as much as anyone else. But I'm not going to let Donald Trump turn off my critical thinking skills. I'm not going to let him do that. So you know what? Uh, Donald Trump is just a narcissist, and he's an incompetent one. Ron DeSantis is a theocratic fascist and a competent one. All right. I'm not going to celebrate Ron DeSantis just because Trump doesn't like him. That's freaking ridiculous. And Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis will be infinitely worse than the Trump administration could have dreamed of being. Regardless of how many mean tweets are out there. So uh, let's go to, to what's going on, Colin. Uh, apparently, uh, Ron DeSantis is doing pretty good amidst Republicans. And it's there's also some indication that he's doing pretty good uh, against Joe Biden, even. So DeSantis, this is according to The Hill, DeSantis tops Trump by 23 points among Republicans in new poll. So 
That's a significant amount. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis leads former President Trump by 23 points among Republicans in a hypothetical GOP presidential primary, according to a poll released Tuesday. Uh, the USA Today Suffolk University poll found that 56% of Republican and Republican-leaning voters prefer DeSantis, while only 33% would support Trump. More than 60% said they want a nominee who will continue Trump's policies, but is not Trump. That's basically any GOP member, really. Trump and the GOP are one of the same. I, I mean, it, it's so funny that people try to make it out like Trump was. Oh, and, and by the way, that was so whenever people were saying stuff like that, like, oh, Trump makes the GOP look terrible. They were they were our worthy political opponents. No, they're a neo-fascist party. They're, look at the look at the policies that Republicans promote. They're literally a neo-fascist organization. And you're trying to sugarcoat them because Trump doesn't have any subtlety. Trump was just the GOP minus subtlety. That's all he was. That's all he'll ever be. The GOP minus the subtlety. Now, has that lack of subtlety um, encouraged some of the most despicable among us? Yes, it has done that. Is that a problem? Yes, it most certainly is. But politically, Trump ain't no different than the GOP. Ron DeSantis would be a hell of a lot more dangerous because he's going he's gonna to motivate that same base. All the people that Trump got out of the woodwork, Ron DeSantis will do that exact same thing. He'll just do it a little more slowly and a little more subtly, but it'll be there. It'll be there. If you think that Ron DeSantis, if that guy is to become president, we will have anything resembling normalcy. Sorry, you're dreaming. And I'm not gonna stop. I'm not gonna stop saying how dangerous this freaking guy is, because I can honestly say I've never seen anything this dangerous in my lifetime, uh, as far as American politics is concerned. Um, and I don't think many of us have. That's honestly how I feel about Ron DeSantis. Now, um, now there's another thing indicating that he would, uh, Colin. Can you pull up that tweet? I think it was like one of the last things I sent you. It was from that that Bloomberg reporter. That apparently, um, yeah, it's from the, it's the Laura. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, a poll also found that DeSantis leads Biden 47 to 43% among all voters. And Biden leads Trump 47 to 40. So, man. Now, first of all, we don't know if Biden's going to run or not. I hope he doesn't. I hope Biden's not the, uh, not the nominee. I honestly think if Biden's the nominee, I, I, don't, I don't really see him beating anybody. I mean, I mean, I could... In a rematch, maybe he could, you know, maybe he could beat Trump again. It's tough to say. Uh, I hope it's not Biden. I hope it's someone else. We'll see what happen, what happens. But um, but DeSantis has even beaten Biden in, in a poll, too. Because, again, this guy, I mean, he has a way of just he kind of talks, even kind of boring, even where people are like, oh, he's not so bad. No, he's pretty freaking bad. He's pretty freaking bad. Let's go to the video um, uh, that that Jordan uh, Jordan tweeted this out. Can we go to Can we go to that, Colin? I, I want to watch that video. I've actually not watched the video in its entirety, so I'll do that now. Um, but uh, let's go to that video. I want to watch it because uh, this is. Oh, sorry, uh, I think you've continued to see people uh, in these bureaucracies and in this establishment behave in ways uh, that have totally squandered any type of confidence or goodwill that people would have. And our CDC at this point 
Anything they put out, you just assume at this point uh, that it's not worth the paper that it's printed on. And so it's not serving a useful function. It's really serving to advance narratives rather than do evidence-based medicine. And so in Florida, the Surgeon General actually has the ability uh, to convene uh, panels of experts to do uh, various things. And so we thought it was important, particularly me talking with other governors, to say, okay, because CDC will say these things, and then people will think, well, because they're saying it, then we have to do it. And maybe not quite as much anymore because people have lost confidence, but you still see it. We had to fight it with the masking in the schools because the, the, the school districts were citing CDC as the reason why they wanted to do it. We had to come and overrule that. Uh, but it was difficult because they were being put as an authority and some people were, were doing that. So other governors and I have talked about the need uh, to have uh, a panel of experts who can counteract nonsense when it's coming out of these institutions that are not going to just go along with the flow and follow pre-cooked narratives, but will actually do evidence-based analysis. And so uh, in Florida, uh, we're creating uh, what we're calling the Public Health Integrity Committee. It's a committee of expert researchers that will uh, be able to assess uh, recommendations and guidance uh, related to public health and health care, but particularly being able uh, to offer critical assessments of things that uh, uh, bureaucracies like the FDA, CDC, and NIH um, are doing. Uh, we know that there's been a lot of uh, faith destroyed um, in public health, uh, and I think that it's important that uh, we have folks who people actually can rely on when they're looking to answers and when they're looking for guidance on some of these really, really important issues. The people. So this is what I'm talking about. Now, a couple of things to unpack here. First of all, to, to clarify, um, I have a lot of problems with the CDC, too. However, my criticisms of the CDC are the complete opposite of Ron DeSantis's criticisms of the CDC. My problem was uh, with the CDC is, uh, you know, a lot of times people call them the the capitalism uh, disaster control. Why? Because all too often, especially in the past few years, the CDC has acted in the name of capitalism and not in the name of health. Like when they said, oh, yeah, if you, if you get COVID, you only need to kind of lay low for five days. That wasn't based on any science. That was just literally based on them being like, we don't want to shut down the economy too much. That's all it was. I mean, even Fauci confirmed that. He literally said that out loud. And not enough people were like, wow, that's really uh, that's really horrible and messed up. So I got my criticism of the CDC. There's a lot of stuff the CDC does that I don't like. But my reason is they're acting in capitalism first, public health, distant second, maybe an afterthought. Uh, what Ron DeSantis wants to do, which is totally different, Ron DeSantis wants to just make his own health committee up. He just wants, which who knows what his health committee will consist of. My guess is Matt Gates and a Taco Bell wrapper. That's my guess. We'll see what happens. But he wants to appoint his own public health committee, just like he wants to make it legal to run over protesters, make it illegal to protest, just like he wants to pretty much stamp out LGBTQ people from schools. I mean, he wants to completely remake our society. I mean, you look at all these seeds he's planting 
And then he is disguising these horrible policies in reasonable sounding rhetoric. Again, there are good reasons to be critical of the CDC. His reasons aren't among them, though. And what he would try to build would be infinitely worse. He's going to just remake this country in a bizarre, theocratic, fascistic image. That's what this guy's looking to do. And he has the competency to do it. You know, I mean, I've paid, you know, I've been paying attention to politics pretty much my entire adult life. You know, I mean, I I, I kind of, I jolted awake at the age of 18 uh, when I was a freshman in college, thanks to uh, the Iraq war, not thanks to the Iraq, but you know, the Iraq war, I kind of wasn't really paying attention to the world around me. And then I kind of wondered, I'm like, why are we in Iraq? This doesn't make any sense. And, uh, you know, I I, uh, I I read a guy named Noam Chomsky, and then it was off to the races. And uh, I can tell you, I've never seen anything quite like Ron DeSantis as far as, you know, and hell, there's been a lot of danger. There's been a George W. Bush. That was that administration was dangerous as hell. And look at what it did. We're still reeling from that administration. Um. Obama, the sweet talking guy who uh, wanted to govern like Reagan, but didn't tell us. Yeah, there's an element of danger to that. You know why? Because that's what helped get us Trump. A bunch of people thought, gee, I thought this progressive guy was going to change things. I guess progressive policies suck. I'll try the Republican again. No, you, you, it wasn't progressive policies, though. It was more Reagan. Like, like this guy was just more Reagan. So now you're going to you're, you're going to replace uh, sweet talking Reagan with mean tweeting Reagan. That was that was where we went. We went from sweet talking Reagan to mean tweeting Reagan. And now we have Rip Van Winkle Reagan. That's where we're at now. Um, you know, who knows? It will probably get a variation of Reagan next time, too. Who knows? I hope not. You know, you, you got to hold out. You got to hold out the hope that, that something decent will happen in the White House. But I, I kind of feel like we missed our chance with Bernie Sanders. And I don't know when we'll get another one like that. Um, whenever someone like Bernie Sanders gets as far as he does. And, you know, I, I know yesterday on the show, we kind of talked about uh, the Bernie Sanders run. And and I think there were definitely some mistakes made. And, and I, I would say that there were some things Bernie did that are worthy of criticism. But at the end of the day, despite those mistakes, when someone like Bernie gets as far as they do, it's because someone made a mistake. You know what I mean? They don't want someone like a Bernie Sanders, they being the DNC. They don't want someone like a Bernie Sanders to get as far as he did. So someone messed up. And that's the only way that happens. So it's like the stars have to align. First of all, you need someone who's going to be that much of a firebrand that they're going to just be so loud that we can't be denied. You need that. But you also need a couple things to fall into place where they can't freaking take it from us. So, but I'm not going to stop covering DeSantis because, I mean, I see the seeds being planted of this guy having a viable run. And if he becomes president, wow, wow. I mean, that is, we'll, we'll have never seen anything like it. I can tell you that much. We'll have never seen anything like it. But uh, anyway, so let me go ahead. And uh, well, first of all, I'll tell you guys this too, before we sign out, tour dates, I got them in 2023, which is coming up soon. 
This year went so freaking fast. But January 7th, I will be in San Diego, California. That date got switched around. It was supposed to be February. It's January 7th now. But here's the good news. That's a free show. So if you're thinking, man, I'm broke from New Year's, come hang out with me January 7th in San Diego. It's going to be a fun show. January 28th, I will be in Tucson, Arizona. That show is uh, not just a stand-up show. It's also the premiere screening of my short film, Loner. It's a short film I made that I'm excited for the world to see. And you can see it. Well, first of all, you can see it now if you're a patron. But if you're not a patron, you can see it in Tucson, Arizona on January 28th. And if you're going to that Tucson show, use the promo code Lucy at checkout for discounted tickets. That's a holiday slash early bird special. So get your tickets now. Don't wait. February 10th, April 14th, and May 12th, I'll be doing a series of shows in Los Angeles at the Glendale Room. That's a fantastic new space in town. All those shows are Friday nights, and that's a string of shows I'm doing to work on my new hour for 2023. And I'll have some more tour dates coming up very soon. Madison, Wisconsin has been confirmed. Uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota has been confirmed. We'll have some more Midwest dates and some UK dates coming up uh, very soon here. So, guys, uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you again, Cat Faye Garrett. Thank you, Chris Garrett. Thank you, Cat Faye Garrett and Chris Garrett. Are y'all related? Has anyone ever asked that question? I feel like Garrett is kind of a common name, so there's a good chance that you guys aren't. But are do you guys are you guys or are you guys just like Garrett's by coincidence? I never noticed that before, but I'm noticing it now, and I'll notice it all the time. But Cafe Garrett and Chris Garrett, thank you very much for your Super Chat contribution. Observer, thank you so much for your Super Chat contribution. And, of course, everybody, thank you for being here. Thank you for your thoughts. Um, Ty's show is coming up at 8 p.m. Eastern. That is the yet-to-be-named show. Maybe he'll call it winning, question mark. Who knows? Uh, but that's the yet-to-be-named show. So tune in and uh, help him name that show. Uh, that's coming up later tonight. Uh, Kim will be here tomorrow on Status Coup. And then on Thursday, Tina and myself are back, and we'll have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. And also on Thursday, not only are Tina and I doing the the uh, the regular show, but we're also doing the members call. That's on Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, shortly after the show. So we'll be doing a members call. And if you want to become a member, go to statuscoup.com slash join. Now remember, when you're a member of Status Coup, you're funding on-the-ground journalism. You're funding sending Status Lou on the beat. You're funding sending Tina on the beat, sending Jordan on the beat. That's what you're funding. And then we take that we take that material and we make shows of it in studio. That's what an indie media outlet is supposed to do, and that's what we do here. So that's what you're supporting, and journalism takes resources, folks. It takes travel. It takes money. It takes uh, meals on the road. Believe me, as a road comic who traveled uh, 40 plus weeks a year for a long time. I know how that goes. So if you are able uh, and you want to see independent journalism and independent media continue, please go to statuscoup.com slash join. Guys, and of course, for all my tour dates, roplacode.com. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Um, this has been Ron Placone for Status Coup. I will see you on Thursday. And uh, in the meantime, stay well. See you all next time.